there we go. Now we're up and running. What's going on, family? As always, hope you guys had a great weekend. Oh, I forgot I can't hold my phone up anymore. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are excited about tonight. Opportunity to dive in a little bit and learn about God and his ways and what he wants or has for us. I see you on, Michelle. How you doing? Did you get those rails taken care of? Did you get it all squared away? <laughs> the carpenter is here. That's it. I see my mom is on. Hey, mom. How you doing? Good to see you, even though I can't see you. I need to set this phone up. Okay. Well, from what I can see, you're doing a great job. Let's see if I can use this speed. <sighs> doing a great job. This might work. See if I can get it on my screen here. You guys can hear me okay? Hey, Roxy. Good evening. Good to see you. Hope you had a good weekend. Okay, thank you. Of course, we're giving folks some uh, time to uh, log on, catch up with us. We'll pray and we'll jump in. But tonight, I do, uh, I mean, of course, this isn't Zoom, so I can't see your faces. I would love to, but um, I think uh, we should dialogue. And I've got some questions for you guys tonight. So please participate and uh Open yourself up to share tonight. That's what I'd like to at least start with. We'll see how you guys respond and we'll go from there. Uh, as they're waiting on people, mom, your grandbaby ate some uh, pears today and she started grabbing the spoon, trying to put it in her mouth herself. But we're like, okay, we see this habit or sign of wanting to be independent. We see that loud and clear already. Trying to hold her bottle, trying to put her spoon in her own mouth. She did a good job today uh, of eating, at least when her mom tried to feed her. And it was funny. I got a, um, a little video and pictures I'll send you when we get off. And it really was cool to to see her begin to eat. Then my wife got some pears and boiled them down a little bit and then uh, pureed it and we just tried to feed her with that. We're doing pretty good. Yep. We're doing pretty good. Just uh, trying to make the right adjustments, finding a rhythm. Uh, to sleep and 
be alive and awake and alert and do everything that we need to do in this season. I think you guys know my wife is back at work now. So trying to just find that new rhythm, how to pull that off. Some days are much tougher than others, but today was a good day. Thanks for checking on us. Hey, mom number two, good to see you as well. I was just telling everybody that, um, I think your, Jay might have sent you some pictures, but your granddaughter started eating those pears. We got Today we got some new videos and pictures I'll send you after we get off uh, tonight. Let's go ahead and uh, pray, and then we'll get started. Gracious Father, we thank you for another opportunity to experience life today. Um, help us not to take life for granted and to know that it's a gift that you've given us. And allow us to use each and every breath that you give us to enjoy you and uh, seek to know you better and also to make you known. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to gather as a family. We invite you to speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just prepare our hearts and minds. Lord, speak in and through me. Uh, communicate truth um, loud and clear to all of us that we might be the children you desire us to be. I pray for our world, God, and ask that you would help even just a remnant of us to humble ourselves and to seek your face and to pray and cry out and repent that you might first give us direction about what you'd have the church to do in this season because we know you're at work in and through it. And I pray for strength and comfort for those who are suffering during this time, who are have loved ones that are sick or have lost loved ones, that you would strengthen and encourage them, that you'd allow them to grieve, but not as those who don't have hope, to keep our eyes focused on you and to have a heavenly perspective, yet to figure out uh, just how to be the effective church you desire us to be in this season. Not also ask that you would do that tonight in our time, God. Help to shape and mold your church. Lord, help us to be open to being challenged, to seeing things new and different, that you might have your way in and through us. We just thank you that you've given us this time, and we pray that you be glorified in it and that you breathe upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, what I want to do tonight is basically just have a discussion with you guys. I don't get to see your face, unfortunately, uh, but you can see mine, and that's cool. But I would like for you to interact, to engage with me tonight, as I feel like God is um, calling for a little bit of a shift in what I'm doing here. So originally, we started off walking through the Bible. I started teaching in Genesis chapter 1. And we were walking through basically book by book or chapter by chapter, going through the books of the Bible. And once the George Floyd murder happened, I definitely felt compelled to address it, 
from a biblical perspective and to talk not just to those of you who are online typically, but also for anyone who might tune in or for those that you might share it with. And I thought that was necessary. And then I started praying about God, where do you want me to go next? Because so many of us are, are asking about our world, but also about the church and what do we do? And so I've been asking that same question myself about God, what do you want me to do with this online time and how should I use it? And I'm certain, at least for this season, that God wanted me to um, focus a little bit more about the spiritual life and to help us understand not just what a passage says or to walk through and teach a book of the Bible, but actually what it means to live that out, to be children of God, to be his people. We, we say loud and clear that um, we have been born again. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, that we're new creation, we're new creatures, basically, that this was a rebirth that was done by the Spirit, not a physical birth, a spiritual birth. And we talk about the spiritual life, but a lot of us really don't understand what it means to have a spiritual life. We are still very much living out the faith in a fleshly way. And if you remember, even when we talked about racial reconciliation, one of the big things I said was from Ephesians chapter 6, that our ultimate battle, we're wrestling not with flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual warfare. When we took the time to talk about strongholds and the mind, we don't use weapons uh, that are carnal, worldly weapons. We fight with spiritual weapons. So all this talk about spiritual things, yet we haven't really talked much about that life. And I don't know how much God will have me to do here and online in this way, but I did want to start at least last week to expose us to this idea of being purged. And we said to be purged is when a person is basically being cleaned up to be purified to uh, the illustration that I gave you guys is if you ate something and it made you sick, then you might vomit. Or if you, you know, inhale too much dust or pollen or, or pepper, if you're making food, you might sneeze. And that's a part of this idea of the body basically pushing out or getting rid of things that aren't supposed to be there. And what God wants for his church is for us to purge as well. So we're to be cleaning up our lives. Now, everything that we're doing is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we play this role where we are seeking and praying and asking God to search us, to show us who we are, if there's anything in us that's not like him, to remove it. And then we take the practical steps to clean up our lives or to purify that which is in us. That was all last week. If you remember, we, we talked about how there's scriptures in Old Testament and even New Testament where it says that Jesus's death on the cross was to purge us of our sins, to take the sin away from us, to take it out of us and to remove it as far as the East is from the West, where God will remember our sins no more even. And so that really impacts us today, because if I had a coin, which I don't, maybe I'll have one Wednesday, a coin, this faith that we live is two sided on one side of that coin. It's Jesus's death that God sent his son to atone for our sins. This idea that he would pay for pay our our for our penalty, uh, you know, that he would be our substitute 
even. He would stand in our place and take our crime. So you're in the courtroom. The judge is getting ready to sentence you to the electric chair. And Jesus walks in, raises his hand and says, he did the crime. And you have to acknowledge or agree, yes, he did it. And then he takes your place. He he dies in your place. Well, that's what Jesus does. That's one side of the coin, that he died for our sins, but then he resurrected. That's the other side of the coin. And not only did he resurrect, but his spirit now lives in me and you, which means he wants us to live new and resurrected lives. Okay, if you're in that courtroom, God took your punishment, Jesus took your punishment, he died. Now you walk out of that courtroom considered justified. You are now innocent, you know, and now it's, well, what are you going to live like now? Are you going to go back and do what led you to the courtroom in the first place? Or will your life be new and different because you realize you've got a second chance or a new chance at life? Well, that's what Christianity is. On one end, it's Jesus is dying for our sins. And that gives us opportunity to be restored or reconciled, to have relationship with God. The other side of that coin is that we get to live a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit to be what God had originally created us to be. Let's not forget, when Jesus came, it was to redeem and restore everything that was broken in Genesis chapter 3. So God still has this idea of us being his children to reflect him in the world. And because of sin, we lost the ability to do that. Remember Moses, if you've been tracking with us, it said he told the people they needed a new heart. And God would have to pour out his spirit and even write his laws on their heart. Well, Jesus has come not to destroy the law or abolish it, but to fulfill it, to allow the purposes to now be possible in us. One of the great challenges that I hear with a lot of people is this idea of law and grace. And maybe I will uh, go there tonight, depending on how you guys respond. I won't even go into that. What I want to do is basically ask you guys, about what challenges did you maybe have or questions with what I taught last Wednesday. Now, it's sometimes hard for us to remember what day it is being quarantined. So if you don't remember, hey, I understand. Basically, I shared some of my story about my life change, about this uh, purge experience that I had. Um, how it changed my life and how I've been in ministry uh, since that moment. And then I said, I think God is calling us as a church globally to purge, to remove these things that are in our lives, sin that hinder us. We said in Second Timothy, there's a passage and it says, in a household, there are different type of utensils, just like you have in your household. There are Nice china plates when, you know, you're having a party and people come over and then there might be plastic or even paper plates and cups that are for everyday use. And the passage says that God has, you know, wood, clay utensils that he uses for everyday use. And then he's got gold and silver that are for special occasions. And we can be gold and silver if our lives are pure, if we are actually purging and getting rid of the things in our lives. And I wanted us to know that this is a special moment that we're living in. We've never lived in a time like this. In fact, nobody on here or that you know has lived doing anything like this with election year, uh, the, the protests, the racial issues, the pandemic, the economic 
situation. There's so much going on. It's a special time that we're living in. I think we need to purge. But I want to hear from you. I've talked enough. I want to know uh, if you have any questions or challenges that you had from what I taught last Wednesday. I would like to hear from you. More than, like I said, just teaching a book of the Bible or a passage, I want us to begin to dialogue and engage what it actually means to live this stuff up. So let me hear from you. What questions, challenges did you have from something that I might have shared last Wednesday? Hey, Miss Maria. What's up, Pop? Hi, cousin. Good to see y'all. First question, you guys remember what I taught? I gave you a Cliff Notes version to summarize what we talked about last Wednesday. Any questions? Any comments? Any challenges to what was taught on last Wednesday? If not, I do have a couple more questions I'd like to ask you guys. Your eyes are windows. I see everything I remember. Your game memories. So I have roses in December. All right. Don't know if you guys are typing or have nothing to type. So I'll give us 10 seconds and then I'll ask my ne next question. All right. Next question. Are you... Okay. Next question is, are you, all right, we got something. So you remove things we consider sin from our life. How do we know what to replace it with? That's a great question. So the question is, once you remove things we consider sin from our lives, how do we know what to replace it with? The reason why I think that uh, is such a good question is because uh, if you don't replace it with something, you're very likely to go back. So you always to the idea of repentance is a change of mind. You think differently about a thing and it results in a change of behavior. So you're thinking one way and it's leading you and then you change the way you think and you go in a direction. But as you're turning from something, you have to turn to something. So I can't necessarily give you the, I don't know what it is and find it. I don't know exactly what it would be, but yeah. So what you're trying to do is number one, you're praying about whatever the situation might be that needs to be removed. And then you're, you're asking God to reveal it to you. Or if you've already done that to take it away, to help you to take that thing away. Now you also might want to ask somebody to help you as far as a form of accountability to find somebody that you can confide in and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray with me and then hold me accountable? Meaning check in on me, you know, how I'm doing with that thing. Or I can call you and say, I'm struggling. I need your help. 
I'm about to do what I don't want to do. That's important. But the replacement, um, because I don't, again, know exactly what it is, is you're, you're trying to turn from that thing unto to God. Because what you will realize is it's always an issue of gospel repentance. Gospel repentance means there is something I'm believing about what I'm pursuing in place of God. It's, a, it's an idol in one sense or another. There's something we believe that this thing is going to satisfy, gratify, provide that God can't or hasn't. That's the reason why we indulge in different sin. We think I'm going to be better. I'm going to feel better. I'm going to, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. One of those things. And we pursue that thinking that God can't do it or at least he hasn't yet. And we're tired of waiting. So we're going to other things. So when we have gospel repentance, first of all, you really need to realize why you're going to that thing. Why am I struggling with this sin? And then you have to repent of that belief. What do I believe about this thing? Why am I going to it? Then where's the lie that I believe about whatever this is I'm pursuing? Repent of that and and turn to replace it with who God is and what he says. So there's some lie that you are believing as you indulge this way. You have to figure that out, whether with help and through prayer, and then repent of that lie you're believing. Because what we believe determines how we behave. So there's something we're believing. We repent of that and replace it with gospel truth. Whatever that situation is. Not knowing the details, that's that's the, how I would respond to that. Great question. I'm trying to text. Your mouth isn't moving. I hear you. I don't, that's something that probably on your end. Uh, I wasn't here last Wednesday, but I know I need to purge some stuff. Amen. We all do, Summerlin. And it's not like a I purged in 88 and so now I'm good. That's a constant. God is trying constantly trying to grow, develop, and mature us. So he's always going to expose us to new and different things that need to be taken out to make room for what he wants to pour in. Again, I told you, we are the vessel that God wants to use. And you can see this is almost halfway full. So whatever God wants to pour in, he's only got half the space i'd have to dump out more in order for what god to make more room for what god's trying to put in that's the idea of purging of taking out the things that don't need to be there so that god can put what he needs to be there and hear me in this time if we don't have enough of god we cannot hear from him about what he's saying in this new trying difficult situation that's just the reality of you know uh living where we live Proverbs 29, uh, verse 18 or 19 says, well, we probably know it as uh, when there is no vision, you know, people perish. But the a, a better translation of that verse would be when there is no divine revelation, people cast off restraint. So when God has not spoken and given a word to his people, there's nothing to keep them or restrain them. And they're free to want, run wild or rampant. Not that he wants them to, but they don't know where to go. So they're doing anything. And it, when the foundation is shaken, which is why we started this whole teaching, because of the foundation. When the foundations are shaken and we have not heard what thus says the Lord, 
then everybody is scrambling to figure out what they should do. We have to humble ourselves, right? And pray and seek his face and repent. And then God will respond. But even in that, there's some things that sometimes we need to fast, pray and get out to make room for what the new he wants to do. Reading the Bible, but where? Reading the Bible, but where will we start? Um, Simeon, I'm not sure what you're saying about that. In general or to, to your situation, um, respond and let me know. My biggest thing is talking, sharing about him to strangers. So are you saying that you are afraid to talk about him or to share him with strangers? I think that's what you're saying. Before I respond, uh, just let me know if that's exactly what you're saying. How do you know? You are believing the right things. Great question. The way you determine if you're uh, believing the right things is whatever you're believing must align with this. If it doesn't align with this or it's not an agreement or you can't find it here, then it's not right. So even if I'm teaching something that you I cannot show you um, biblically, then say, hey, Pastor T, I think that was a unique, interesting teaching you said. Where can I find that in the, the scriptures? Or where is there biblical support for that? So that's the way you know the things that you're believing. It, we have a faith that's basically been passed down to us. You know, uh, while it's personal, we want to have an intimate relationship and to know Jesus. And there's two Greek words for know. And, and one of them is like a cognitive head knowledge. And the other one is an intimate personal relationship. Well, we want to personally know him in the same way that I said, many people know President Trump, but they never met him. And if he were to see them, he would say, depart from me. I don't know you. And we don't want that with Jesus. We don't want Jesus to say, yeah, you knew all this information about me, but you never actually met me. So th that's important that we we're seeking to know him and we can pray and ask God that we want to know him more. We want to be closer to him. He wants to be closer to us than we want to be closer to him. So he, his, his desire is that we would be intimate. That's why he sent Jesus. So that we can restore a relationship. He wants to know us absolutely and seek him and he will answer. Yes. Cause some bad, bad things feel right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Some bad things do feel right, and they feel right to our flesh. Here's what that means. Oh, my. I don't even know where to start. Like, if if I'm dealing with my wife, there are times when I just want to be right. And it feels right to be right. And I want to either prove myself or shut her down or do something to show that I'm right. You know why? It feels good to be right. But I could do that at her expense, where I might hurt her feelings, I might disrespect her, I might be rude to her. And so while it might feel good to me because I'm right, I'm wrong because I just hurt the person I've become one with. And it's actually going to damage my intimate relationship with her. And it dishonors God at the end of the day. So while it might feel right to my flesh, as soon as I do it, say it, whatever it is, then I'm going to feel convicted because I knew it was wrong. 
So the goal is to not give in to our fleshly desires, but to surrender to our spirit. Bible tells us there's this constant battle between the spirit and the flesh, and the two are always against each other, and they always will be against each other, and they're constantly fighting. It's just like two dogs that are fighting each other, like dog fights. And which one wins is the one that you feed the most, the bigger, stronger one. If you are feeding your spirit through prayer, fasting, reading the word, fellowship, worship, all these things, then it will be strong enough to fight the desires of the flesh. If you're not feeding your spirit and you're only feeding your flesh, meaning everything almost in the world is constantly feeding our flesh, no wonder we're not strong enough. This is why I'm talking about purging, to remove the things inside of us, to make more room for God and things of God in our lives. Hey, Ben, good to see you. I know reading the Bible is a good way to go when we turn from sin, but where should we start reading? Well, man, that's a good question. It's a challenging one because I know you personally. Um, maybe we can talk offline and I can give you some places to start uh, that's more tailored toward your situation. Because that's the thing about it. The Bible is speaking to all these issues in life. Most of us, of course, don't know where to find them. A lot of people don't know, at least. Um, but there is, you know, there's resources out there. There's ways I could I could help you to figure that out and even share with you myself. But a great place to start is opening it and just begin to read. Of course, that can be challenging because you might end up. You know, like Hezekiah brought a lamb to the altar and I don't know what that it might not you might not get it. It might not make any sense. But that's why we want to pray and always ask God to speak to us as we open his word that he might reveal truth to us that we can't comprehend in our own natural mind. Don't want to give the wrong information. Can't back up with scripture or give examples. Don't want to give wrong information. Can't back up. Uh, I think I get what you're saying. Um, well, you know what? That's why the Bible talks about us um, as believers being confident, being able to basically rightly divide the word, meaning to teach it correctly. Now, we've got a big book, 66 books, all this stuff in there. The truth is what you really need to know and understand for all of us is the gospel. Here's the situation. There's bad news and good news. Bad news is People sinned, Adam and Eve, right? God made this perfect world. We've walked through that when we did all those teachings through Genesis all the way up to 1 Samuel, that Adam and Eve sinned. And here's what ultimately happened. You know how on your computer or your cell phone or something like that, you can get a virus? When Adam and Eve sinned, it's like they got a virus. This thing called sin became this virus that was downloaded and hardwired into every single human. So that we malfunction. We don't, we cannot be or do exactly what God wants from us because of that virus called sin. And because of that virus, we can no longer come into God's presence. So we have to stay away. And there was nothing we can do to get rid of the virus, which meant there was nothing we can do to have a relationship with God. So we were stuck waiting to die to, to spend eternity separated from him. But the good news is that God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to do what? To die, number one, for the sins that we have, that we might have an opportunity to, he purged us, to take all those sins 
a way that now we could have a relationship with God. But he resurrected, which means he gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the, the antivirus firewall, you know, software that we download now inside of us to protect from that virus ever controlling us again. Now, we still have to block and just like computer, like I don't know that much about computers, but I know that there's viruses and I know that there's a software to help protect against it. Well, the, the Holy Spirit is to help protect against what the sin is trying to do. Come and take up residence on your life again. And we can fight that thing off now and be what God's called us to be. That's the story, Miss Maria, that all people are basically lost. They're separate, distant, far from God, but God wants them to have a relationship with him and he's provided a way to do so. Does it depend on what we purge, where we begin to study? Yes, it does, because it depends on what you're getting rid of. So if you're going to talk about like uh, anger, then you might go and read a certain passage versus sexual things. You might go and read a certain passage versus pride. You might go and read a certain passage. Uh, the heart of it is all sin, but the, it could be a little bit more tailored specifically to what you might be dealing with. I have a second question I want to ask you guys tonight. And this is, are you afraid of the Holy Spirit? I repeat that one. Are you afraid of the Holy Spirit? And I, I, I'm dead serious about that. I really do mean it. Are, are you afraid um, of the Holy Spirit or at least maybe afraid of certain gifts or certain encounters that you that God might do? I think it's important for us to um, ask that question as we talk about the spiritual life. Yes and no. Okay, that's honest. Um, are you willing or comfortable to share more? So now you're like me where you got to put yourself on the spot and talk in front of whoever's listening. But thank you. And if you don't want to say more, then that's fine as well. But I think it's important. Look, we're not. We're, there's no way we're going to be the people of God, right? Um, walking in the power of God, doing what God's called us to do apart from this spirit. But the truth is there are certain groups of people who no longer believe that the spirit is, you know, available or active or alive or moving today. And so if whatever we think about the spirit determines what we pursue and what we want, you know, what we believe determines how we behave. So that's my question. Are you afraid of the Holy Spirit or at least certain gifts or maybe encounters that you might have read about or heard about or some of that? Because that's definitely going to impact how you pursue and seek after God and intimacy and closeness with him. So I'd love to hear from you guys. I want to feel the presence at all times, but don't want to lose control like I see not knowing if it's true or not. 
what they're doing. Got you. Okay. So I think you're saying you want God's presence. The Holy Spirit is like God's, God is spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is like God's personal presence. He's his own person, but he comes to live and dwell inside of us. And so you're saying, I want him to do that, which if you have believed uh, the gospel, the moment you believe, the spirit is uh, there. But you want to know he's there and encounter him? Absolutely, you should. But you're saying you don't want to lose control and look like what you've basically seen, people who are out of control. Totally understand that as well. Now, again, this is why scripture is so important because you don't want to base your biblical beliefs, your foundations about the Holy Spirit on what you've seen or are questioning to be true. Because you said, is it even true? You don't even know if it's true or real or whatever. So rather than thinking about something you've seen on TV or an encounter you saw at a church or something you heard about in regards to the Holy Spirit, the scripture actually is the best place for us to understand what the Holy Spirit is about and what the what role he plays in our lives. When you go back and read the Bible, do you see uh, situations where people are, the Holy Spirit comes and then people are behaving like what you have seen um, or heard about for their lives? Is that what happens? People just totally lose control? Is that what you see in the scripture or what is it that you see in the scripture? That's a great place to start is to begin to read and see what you see through the lens of scripture. I don't think I'm afraid. Amen. Are you are you then seeking and pursuing more of God and comfortable purging that God might have his way in, in and through you? Miss Maria, that's a question in response to your post. People don't lose control to the Holy Spirit in the Bible, right? Can't think of a verse where that happens. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. So if we've allowed uh, experience, TV, or something somebody's told us to shape what, uh, what the scripture says, now we've got a challenge. Now we, we, we definitely have that challenge. Uh, when we read the Bible... We see, like what you're saying, Ricardo, that there doesn't seem to be any stories where people just lose control and now they're robots and they don't know what they're doing and they have lost all control. So, again, we can experience experience is important. I think that uh, almost like a tricycle, that there is the word of God. Right. And when we develop these our theology, there's a history because we as a church. Historically, truth has been passed down, even our doctrines. And then there is experience. And all of those play a role in how we understand God. And they are aligning together. For example, Paul, who he understood the Bible, or at least the Old Testament scripture, and doctrine, things that were passed down to him. But he had an encounter where he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And now it challenged how these things all work together. Peter had the same thing. When God came and met him and Cornelius Cornelius and the sheep, he's like, okay, how does this fit with what I know and what has been passed down to me? How does all of this work together? And then he began, they be, all begin to see how, oh, this is what God ultimately was up to. That's, uh, I think, very important for us to understand. 
And none of them are the like the only way that works, because even as Protestants today, clearly the way the church was in the 1400s changed in the 1500s from Catholic universal to Protestant. And that's because I think that's what happens when we are true to seeking God's word and scripture and praying about what he's up to. And in a lot of ways, you know, the landscape of our church is changing even now. We're just living in it. We're not able to look back at history. We're right in the midst of it. Yes, and when I do read it, it convicts me. But if I say anything to others, I feel like I'm attacking. Well, it's not necessarily for you to say or do anything to anybody else. It's for you to deal with it with you first. Before you deal, you know, with the speck in your neighbor's eye, we've got to deal with the plank in our own. So you have to have a better foundation and be more affirmed on where you stand with it before you even speak anything to anybody else, unless you're inviting somebody in to journey with you and not necessarily for correction. Were the disciples in control on the day of Pentecost? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't think they, they were in control of what they were saying by any means. No, not at all. That's the main verse I thought about, but I think we're talking about, um, uh, based on Nadine's response, people living a life where they don't have control, the Holy Spirit comes and they're now robots. I think the disciples definitely knew that they were prophesying, they were praising, they were, you know, speaking in other tongues. I don't think they necessarily uh, said, I want to do this. The Holy Spirit came and did that, but I think they were very aware. They weren't unaware of what was happening. I feel like because of my sins, who am I to say anything even though I know what is being done is wrong. Now, I think that's a, a different situation um, because of my sins. I'm, uh, I mean, none of us are without sin. So in that case, you'd never be able to say anything about anything. I think you just have to uh, ask yourself, where is it coming from? Is it for that person's benefit and good, or is it for your own, it makes my flesh feel better to correct or prove that I'm right. And if it's for their benefit and it's not about you or being right or anything like that, then you do that in love. And whatever you say, you say it graciously, you know, and you say that in love. We speak the truth in love. The early church had some pretty awesome power encounters. Philip was picked up and moved from one place to another by the spirit. Absolutely. And I'm, <laughs> Jonathan, I'm praying that we would uh, be a people today that would be so open to God doing whatever he wants that we would see God move in some amazing ways. I've spent time uh, teaching in Ethiopia and some other parts of the world where, I mean, there are spiritual encounters that not even just what I've seen and experienced, even today in, in different religions like Muslims and all that who are having visions and supernatural encounters who are coming to Jesus like crazy in droves. Some things that, you know, even in the West we say is impossible. I'm sorry. Some things we don't believe in. Uh, one of the things that Jesus says is that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so if, if Satan is giving, you know, a Muslim, for example, 
a vision about Jesus and then they convert and become Christian, I'm not I don't I'm not sure how he's going to build his kingdom if he's fighting against himself that way. That's the idea that I have. Um, but I think we're living in a time where, I mean, it's always been true, but unlike any other time in any of our lives, I think the church, first of all, has to be able to hear from God, to know what he's saying. It's harder to hear from him when our lives are not cleaned. Now, that, that that's a challenging concept. I'm not talking about works because in the eyes of God, if we have believed the gospel, he sees us as clean. However, there's an intimacy, there's a relationship there in the same way that if you're in a relationship and there's things that are said or done that are hurtful or harmful, there can be still distance in that relationship. There's an intimacy. You still might be in a relationship with that person, but there's some distance there because of that behavior. Well, sin in our lives does just that. And so that's why I gave you the second Timothy passage about letting God uh, use us in specific ways. I just want us to understand that God wants to work in and through his church. And that happens through the Holy Spirit. There's That's a powerful thing that we need. Acts 1 and 8 tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, we will receive power to do what God's calling us to do. But if we are afraid of the Holy Spirit or that power, or we're unwilling to purge or give up or remove things in our lives, then we won't see God move the way I think he wants to. That's the whole con the whole purpose of all of what I'm doing today. Darren, what's going on, bro? Good to see you. Hope you're doing well, man. I'm having trouble hearing him clearly lately. I know that I have to ask him to reveal any sin in my life that is blocking my prayers. What if I do that, but I don't get any answer? Does it mean that it's sin that's blocking prayers? Him simply telling me to wait. <laughs> okay, Summerlin, thank you for being so honest and vulnerable. So let me back up. Jesus has dealt with our sin. Okay. Jesus came to die for every sin that you committed in the past, in the present, and in the future. So as far as a relationship with God, Jesus has dealt with that. Remember, we talked about his death. The flip side is resurrection. And there's power for us to actually live and be the people that he's called us to be. So God doesn't always answer. I can't I can't say he always will will, will answer the way we want to or, or we want him to or when we want him to. But he has, again, given us his word. And the word faith and believe, they are verbs. They're not nouns, which means it's something that we put into practice. So we can open this book and see what God has said for a few thousand years. So about your life. If there's an area in your life as far as, you know, I don't know if I should or shouldn't or whatever, it's probably going to be mentioned or talked about in the word of God. As we're talking about sin and purging, you're like, hey, does God want me to keep stealing from my job? He hasn't answered yet. Well, he has answered because he tells us he doesn't want us to steal. So we align our lives with what he says. Or I'm I'm. I'm really anxious right now because of this pandemic. Well, he doesn't want us to be anxious. He says to trust him. 
So that's what I mean by he speaks and gives answers. Now, it's not just so easy. It's hard to actually trust and believe in what he's saying. But that's what it is on us. And we ask God to help us. And a part of us having faith is the patience that we talked about recently. Trusting what God says in his word, his promises, and his person, who he is, his character, and his power to fulfill or bring about what he's actually said. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to look at what God said, thinking about who God is and the fact that he's got the power to do what he says. And then we stand on that, even if we don't know if he's said anything new or you know revealed something specific to us. Hopefully that helps. I've been part of the charismatic movement for 40 plus years and I've seen real and the counterfeit. You have to know the one to recognize the other. I mean, that's why, you know, your life and your experiences are such a blessing to so many of us that, that you could play such a vital role in helping the church because so many, as I'm sure, you know, have seen those counterfeits and then they are afraid and they want to stay away or they want nothing to do with it or they totally dismiss it rather than having somebody like you acknowledge, Hey, Yes, there are counterfeits. There are fakes and phonies and frauds and this, that, and the other. But we don't dismiss what the word of God says because some people have chosen to abuse or abandon or this, that, and the other. That's why the Bible tells us, hey, some people are going to preach for their own profit, their own gain, their own benefit, their own following. But we don't say, you know, we're done listening to preachers because of that. No, we we seek to learn the truth so that we can spot out the fakes and phony versus the true and the real. At least that's what the desire should be. Uh, one more question. Um, and that is, are you afraid of what your life will look like if you totally surrender to God? If you, are you afraid if you just said, God, okay, I'm not getting in the passenger seat. I'm getting in the back seat. I'm getting in the trunk. <laughs> uh, are you afraid? Or what prevents you from totally letting God take the will? If there's anybody willing to share, I'd love to hear from you tonight. Just to talk, because I thought uh, last Wednesday's message about the purge about, I'll talk more about it on Wednesday, and then uh, I think I'm preaching again at Refuge Long Beach on Sunday, uh, maybe there, and then back on Monday and Wednesday, just about this idea of basically emptying out what doesn't need to be there to have more God inside of us, so that God can live in and through us the way He desires, so that we might have clear direction and divine revelation from God about what he's calling us to do in our world today. Otherwise, uh, we're not going to be effective as missionaries because the church as we know it has totally changed. And that's not what God is trying to use to bring transformation in our world today anyway. So, again, what are you afraid of? What keeps you from totally surrender? 
I suppose I'm afraid of being a missionary like you discussed yesterday. Got to think of Acts or in the gospel where some disciples leave their family. I don't want to leave my family, but then again, I don't think I would do that either. And uh, Ricardo, that's honest. I appreciate your your honesty. For me personally, uh, that's probably some of my greatest challenge as well, is just what's my immediate family life going to look like? You know, how is that going to be impacted? Now, um, I, I don't think I know enough about the situations. I do know that Paul uh, was not married. It's uh, speculation that he probably would have at some previous time because of the role he played as a Pharisee and all that and the other. But yeah, he left and he said he didn't have a wife or anything like that. But then he talked about like Peter, for example, who did have a wife and didn't have to leave her and make his own way, provision, work a side job. So I see the story where Peter is seems to be where he is with his wife and um, making a living off of the gospel. And Paul is in a totally different situation. We don't know what God's going to call us to. Absolutely. I don't believe that God will call us to lead and totally abandon our families because a part of the first you know, ministry or requirement to serving in church is to show that you can take care of your family. Uh, that doesn't mean that he doesn't send you on trips and things like that, but I think he'll be gracious to your wife and you to give you the grace to be able to pull that off. Um, but that's very honest of you. I think that's a great place for us to pray about whatever God's doing. It's a continual yielding and remaining focused on his mission. Amen. Yeah. Well, one of the things I think that COVID has done um, is it's really um, slowed down a lot of people's worlds and lives. doesn't mean that they begin to focus on Jesus, but at least it's removed a lot of the potential distractions. I had a conversation with a pastor uh, today who shared about a lot of people that have wrestled with um, anxiety really, really bad are seemingly doing better during this time. And then people who never had anxiety are beginning to wrestle with it today just because uh, those folks feel like they can be a little bit more focused and locked in and not so much going on and are like our the old world. I don't even know what to call it. So I think there's something big there as well. I'm not afraid, but what's keeping me? I don't know. That's honest. I think the place to start is to really get an answer because what you've acknowledged is that there's something that's keeping you. So there's something in there that maybe needs to be taken out and you're not, you're not aware of what that thing is. So that, that could be a hold on you that could keep you for who knows how long, because you're not even aware. It'd be great to, if you don't know, then that's why we can pray and ask God to search you and show you what's inside of you. That's keeping you because what God wants is for, us to continually grow, to go from milk to meat, that we would mature, that we would actually begin to look more and more and more and more and more like Christ. So think about my daughter. She's four and a half months old. Just imagine if she stayed four and a, four and a half months old and didn't continue to grow and develop. Well, something would be wrong. The goal is for her to actually get to the point where she would reproduce on her own. And the same is true for us, that we would get to the point that we would make disciples, that we would reproduce and be fruitful in our lives. My fear, that my desires don't align with his desires for me. Okay, Summerlin, you've had a very similar theme tonight, 
and I want to really free you. Spending time reading the Bible, what it's going to do is going to show you and reveal to you God's heart. That's the first thing. So you'll be able to see more of what his heart is and what his desires are. And what you do when you read the scriptures is you try to align yourself. You see, do I think the way he thinks? He says, forgive your your enemies, love your enemies. Do I think that way? Well, I don't naturally. I know that. So I have to pray about that and then strive to have him not force myself to love my enemies, but to change me on the inside level that I actually would be the type of person who would love their enemy. That's what God's trying to do. He's not trying to make us all figure out how to just try to behave and pretend and perform like we're better or more like him. He actually wants to make us more like him. That's why I'm not talking about behavior modification, but actually transformation. That has to happen in here through the power of the Holy Spirit. And a part of that process is doing the work of of seeking and asking, asking other people, talking to God about what things in me need to come out, and then asking God to take them out and then replace them with more of him. That's what that really is all about. Philip did have a family, I think some daughters, and probably still did God's work with his family, I think it's a nice. Yeah, no, I, di I didn't say that. Uh, I actually used Peter and Paul. I didn't mention Philip. What I was saying was um, Peter, for example, did have a family, and yet Paul mentions that his situation was not like Paul's. He says he gets to be with his family and earn a living and this, that, and the other, Paul didn't get to. So I'm saying their calls are different in the same way that when Peter's dealing with Jesus, asking about John, like, hey, what, what's going to happen to him? Jesus responds and says, that's none of your business. You do what I've called you to do. And I don't know what God's going to call you versus me to do, but I can say in my own limited understanding is that I think he wants you to be a good husband and a good father to your family. So I think he'd either call your family with you, I can stand firmly on that, or give you grace to separate while you go on a trip and come back. But I would say for sure he's not calling you to abandon and leave your family to go serve God. I would not find any biblical support for anything like that. I'd love to go out. And become a missionary if it was or becomes possible i believe i would go okay i that's great but god wants you to go right now where you are missionary uh is not about going a far distance away it's about living missionally right where you are so you live as a missionary in your neighborhood, at your job, with your friends and family. Where we are the temple of God, where the Holy Spirit dwells, we tabernacle wherever we are and set up the presence of God wherever we go. And we come heralding the good news. We are like an apostle is a sent one. And, uh, you know, the good news, just that's exactly what it means. The gospel means good news. And. And we are people who actually 
have been sent by Jesus as missionaries to take the good news with us wherever we go. So you can actually start today. Now, the thing about it, and maybe we'll talk about that, uh, I don't know, Wednesday or I don't know when I'll bring it up. But Jesus tells the apostles about being missionaries in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the end of the world. But he says, don't go yet until I give you what the Father has promised, until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. Then, you know, go. So there's a, we want to be emboldened. We want to be encouraged. We want to have God's power to do what God is calling us to do. And most of you already have the Holy Spirit. But we do want to, we want more of him. We want to be emboldened. We want to have courage. We want to have his power. We want to have the fruits and the gifts of the spirit present in our lives that we could go and, and accomplish what God's called us to. I have concerns, not really fear, that I will make decisions that are not in line with his desires. I just keep working on my relationship with him so he will give me that moment, you know. I do know. And that's a great place. Uh, when Jesus called the disciples, the first call, our, our, our ultimate call is not to ministry, but to intimacy. God, I think it's Mark 3, maybe, uh, says he calls the disciples that they might be with him. And then he would send them out to preach. Our greatest call is that we might be with him. Intimacy, to know him and to make him known can't go talking about him and you don't really know him. So to seek him absolutely is where we start. But we also know from his word, as far as, again, that idea of what his desires are, that's why reading is so important. Look, God doesn't want anybody to perish, meaning any person that you know that doesn't believe in Jesus, he wants them to be saved. And guess what? He's placed you in their life to tell them about him. That doesn't mean every time you see him, you just beat him over the head. No, that means right now the night you start praying for that person. You start praying for opportunities. You start praying for God to show you. You start intentionally asking God to maybe give you a heart for that person, to really love them so that they can feel and see. Not that you're just trying to make a convert, but that you genuinely have a heart for them. And when you have an opportunity or you look and create the opportunity, you share with them about your great God. That's a missionary. That's what God has put you there to do. Now think about how many people do you know that don't know the Lord? If you feel like you don't know any, then you need to expand your circles and find some folks. Have God pray and lead you to where he'd have you to go. I've been reading daily prior to COVID, but now I read more. Reading it more has helped me meditate on his word. It's been an interesting experience. I wait patiently what God has planned for me. Amen. Yeah, that's that's where it's at, Ricardo. I love to hear that. And God will pull out what he's pouring into you. His word will not return void. He'll use everything he's pouring into you. Hoping that following him would be eternal life. The journey he would take me through is a scary thing. I have to let go of what I believe I control. Ooh, that's a big one. That's a big one here's help pandemic none of us control anything I know it's easier said than done but this is a great reminder that we are not in control and yes it could be scary i don't deny that but he's promised to be with us and to never leave us nor forsake us 
and that in his presence there's a fullness of joy and that when we walk in our purpose that we actually feel so fulfilled by doing what we were created to do. Just thought I'd share that with you. Well, guys, I thank you. I thank you so much for being bold and honest. We don't really get a chance to do this, but God's at work. You know, uh, I'm usually just one way conversation, but this is really what it's about. Honestly, this is really what it's about. Uh, not just teaching and talking and hearing, but figuring out how to put it into practice and talking through it and praying through it and then actually going and doing it. And that's what God wants from us. And we don't know what life will be like going forward. We don't know if there, if we'll return back to normal. And even when it goes back, it will never really be normal. So we've got to figure this stuff out. And I think it's a great opportunity to be challenged and to rethink church in so many ways. Those of you who are part of New Wine know that I've said forever when we started at parks and the beach and the lighthouse and the mountains and we were everywhere, I constantly said church is not a building you attend, but a family you belong to, right? That we need to rethink church in basically every way. Because when I read the scriptures, that's just the way in which I think God is saying I'm not opposed to having a building or gathering or there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the gathering is supposed to be a time to be equipped, to be trained, to be poured into, to worship, to fellowship, you know, when that happens, and then to go out into the mission field, that wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you whatever, that you're on mission there, that you are the hands and feet of God, wherever God has sent you. And we need to be learning that, how to do that. And to do that is scary and it requires Holy Spirit power and prayer and support and community. And I think that, you know, that's kind of where I, I feel God uh, leading me to talk to with you tonight. And that's why we're doing what we're doing tonight. Well, I feel like I don't know what God's going to lead, but we'll be back. Uh, Wednesday night to talk and walk through the scriptures. I just wanted to hear what are your fears? What are your concerns? What's keeping you? What's holding you back so that you can voice them? And now as we close tonight, you can take them to God. You can say, God, show me. I'm not sure what it is. Or God, I know it's this. Would you help me? And maybe reach out to somebody and have a partner to be praying with you and to, to, to help you. And in areas like Miss Maria, you shared about being afraid to share, ask God to give you boldness. When go and read through the book of Acts, they do the same thing. They pray, God, give us. They already had the spirit, but they're still praying for more and for more boldness and for more courage to be used by God. If we're going to move as a church here in America in any way, we're going to need to be empowered by God's spirit. There's just no other way. Um, Bible tells us not by strength nor by might, but by my spirit. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's just the reality of being his children. Well, thanks guys for tonight. I pray that you would um, sincerely go before God and ask him to search you, to reveal to you, to give you courage, boldness, to show you, to whatever you posted and shared tonight. You've got something great to pray about with God. 
And I promise you, he's right there waiting and longing, wanting to help you in the process and in the journey. And let's just let him have his way. We can read the scriptures and know he's a God that can be trusted. He knows better than we know. He has all knowledge, all power. I mean, we don't. So we can trust our lives in his hands that he's going to make everything work out for his glory and our good. Even if we can't see it, that's what he's up to because he loves us. And if he has given up his son, what else won't he do to work out the good things for us in our lives? That's the God that we serve. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for an opportunity to sit and hear from my brothers and sisters tonight to see how they are processing so much of what we cover. And Lord, I heard the number of people who don't feel like they know your will. And so I pray that you would begin to make that known to all of us, that you give us a hunger for your word, that we would begin to devour and consume your word. Uh, we don't live by bread alone, Lord, but by every word. So I pray that you give us just a craving and a longing for your word. And as we read it, that you'd open our eyes and prepare our hearts to hear and receive what it is that you're saying, that we would be confident and that we would know your will and your way. I also pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, God, that we would have more of you inside of us that we would surrender our lives and to let you live in and through us, that we would be your vessel, that you would have your way. I pray against fear and those who are afraid, all of us, Lord, whatever is keeping us from fully surrendering, would we know that you're a God who can be trusted and that you're not trying to harm us or hurt us. Even that, that form of thinking, Lord, will we repent of that and to know that you are good. You are a good, good father. It is who you are and that we would rest and trust you and that you take us on a journey showing us just what you're up to. Lord, thank you for those who were honest and vulnerable tonight. I pray that you would honor that and I pray that you would continue to build and shape our time of gathering, that we would be your church, that you'd help us to continue to get to know you and to make you known and that our lives would bring glory and honor to your name. Would you watch over us, keep and protect us until we gather again on Wednesday? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, family. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight and being honest and being vulnerable and transparent and sharing uh, what's going on in your world. I'll be praying for you guys as well. Pray for me. And of course, I'll see you back on uh, Wednesday, same time, and we'll continue this journey of, uh, of purge and what God's up to. Uh, again, I think this is much bigger than we even know. And if we would put ourselves uh, in that position, uh, opening ourselves up to be cleansed, that God would use us in a special way during this season. God bless you guys, and I will see you on Wednesday. Have a good night.